Hello out there to whoever's listening. This is Pastor Tim Dooner of Valley Forge Presbyterian Church, and I welcome you to this reflection out from our fall-winter 2019 series on Christian and Congregational Vitality. Uh, This reflection is entitled, Marks of Vitality, Ecclesial Health, Congregational Health. I invite you to enjoy and become centered by a time of quiet and stillness as we prepare to think about this together. What I share for your consideration and imagination today is in response to a portion of Paul's letter to his protege, Timothy. This is from the sixth chapter. Paul wrote, Whoever teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that is in accordance with godliness is conceited, understanding nothing, and has a morbid craving for controversy and for disputes about words. From these come envy, dissension, slander, base suspicions, and wrangling among those who are depraved in mind and bereft of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Of course, there is a great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We are grateful for how God uses this scripture to shape, inspire, and call us. In this reflection, we continue a connected series considerations on seven marks of Christian and congregational vitality. Just as beating hearts and expanding lungs are signs that a body has vitality, that which it needs for life to continue, we're considering seven signs of vital congregations of Christians. We've considered having a lifelong discipleship orientation, seeking uh, all our lifelong to live according to Jesus' teachings, example, an invitation for us to do likewise, authentic evangelism, neither marketing for the sake of the institution nor proselytizing others from our judgment seat, but just naturally telling these stories of God's good in our lives and in the world around us. We've considered outward focus, living with an orientation of service to others as Christ's ambassadors, rather than living in service of the self. We considered empowered ministry by all, understanding that to be a congregation is not to build a salvation factory, but to create an equipping station in which we gather where all people, not just pastors, not just officers, are built up 
and sent out to do the ministry of Jesus. We considered spirit-inspired worship. Worship that's not about the place, the form, the preferences, but is about encountering the Spirit of God together and allowing God to challenge and to reshape and to send us out into the world. Then we considered caring relationships. Being a people whose relationships are not characterized as club-like, judgmental, gossipy, clicky, or polite but devoid of caring, but instead are characterized by Christ-like love and care. And in this episode, we consider the seventh and final vital sign, um, ecclesial health. To begin, we have to define what this word ecclesial means. It comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which is how the writers of the New Testament referred to the very first congregations or gatherings of Christians or churches. When a writer like Paul would write a letter to the, the new Christians in a particular town or village, it would be addressed to the ecclesia of that town. Generally, this Greek word at that time meant um, an assembly of people convened in a public place for the purpose of deliberating. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a religious word in and of itself. It's, it's, it's a political word. So in other words, it was, it was any gathering of people into one body so that discernments, decisions, proclamations, etc. could be made. When the movement of Christianity began, it adopted this method for gathering and deliber deliberating. Rather than confining their, their discernment, their decision-making, their proclamations, their discipleship and education uh, within the Christian movement to particular religious buildings like temples, the earliest Christians instead assembled in public. We know they also went back to people's homes to share in meals, to sing, to pray together, but their gatherings for worship and deliberation happened in public. Taking after the example of Jesus, they, they understood that the Christian worldview was, was not to be about individualistic or private practices, but a life acted out and implemented in the public sphere, in the politic. Jesus taught and healed and challenged the status quo, not in private, but in public, because he sought to shape not only individual religious ritual, but to redefine and reshape human relationships, the ways that humanity is bound together in community with one another and bound together with the ever-present and mysterious God of all. The movement of Christianity, that lifelong formation, the overt orientation toward the other in love, the ministry of good and godly work by all people, the spirit-centric worship and living, the relationships of love and caring, that was all to be about a public acting out of the way of Jesus, a light shining for the world to see. If this was true, if the Christians allowed the ways of Jesus to be truly incarnated in their public life, it was vital. Their ecclesia, their gathering was healthy. But if there wasn't this incarnation of the ways of Jesus in their life together, if there was this disconnection or uh, disharmony between what Jesus taught and modeled and the, the actual ways of the ecclesia, their public expression of Christianity, if there was either intentional or unintentional hypocrisy, then the integrity and the effectiveness of their Christianity was compromised. It lacked health. 
in Paul's letter to his protege Timothy, not, not his disciple, Paul's disciple, but a disciple of Jesus Paul trained, we hear Paul warn about the dangers of letting anything or anyone other than Jesus' example and witness shape the identity and the life of the Christian ecclesia. In other letters to other ecclesias and to other uh, ministers, Paul warned against tendencies toward cults of personality that cause people to follow, to pledge the highest allegiance, to assign the highest authority to human leaders like Paul himself or Apollos, someone that Paul disagreed with on some matters of faith. Paul warned against following that person as a cult of personality rather than being the people who followed Jesus. Because Paul knew that there was something about authority that tempted human beings, all human beings, including himself, toward self-serving corruption and the compromising of virtues. That, that even the most faithful and humble human leader can never perfectly replicate the ways of Jesus such that it is they who should be emulated. The hypocrisy and the breakdown of the health of the ecclesia so often comes because of following the ways of a person, the words and the teachings of a person, the example and the witness of a person, rather than Jesus himself. And so Paul wrote to Timothy, whoever is teaching otherwise, something that's not in agreement with Jesus, but instead is in accordance with some other definition of godliness other than Jesus' definition, is conceited, which is a Greek word that means something like being overly inflated with self-deceit. Whoever is teaching something that doesn't align with Jesus is someone who's deceiving not only others, but deceiving the self. It's a, it's a kind of godlessness. There's a lack of God in these moments where that happens. And Paul writes that when this happens, when there's a disconnection from Jesus and there's this deception of the self and others, when there's uh, the offer of a Christianity that, that's not fully Christianity because it's not 100% aligned with Christ, um, then there becomes wrangling against one another. There's uh, unprofitable and distracting controversy and conflict. And Paul warns that the ecclesia is open to the dangers of envy, dissension, slander, and suspicions. If the ways we're living out our lives in the public sphere are influenced more profoundly by a particular human leader, religious leader, social leader, political, religious, or social idea other than Jesus, then the health and the effectiveness of our ecclesia is compromised. Just this week, it's the, it's the middle of December um, in 2019, the editor-in-chief of Christianity, Christianity Today, a worldwide publication, uh, Mark Golley, said this in an interview. As Christians, we are those who have given our ultimate loyalty to Jesus and the gospel message he has called us to proclaim. When Christians of any stripe support a cause that is manifestly ungodly, it does damage to the cause we've committed our lives to. When we proclaim a Christianity that's not fully Christianity, it does damage to Christianity. 
This is the early church arguing about whether Paul or Apollos was the expert. It did damage. This is Christianity being moved away from the public sphere, institutionalized in buildings under Constantine, and spending years arguing in conflicted meetings about the words for our earliest creeds. That did damage. This is the Crusades and their blessing of violence in the name of Christianity. That did great damage to Christianity. This is the Reformation Church arguing about Calvin and Luther and Zwingli. That did damage to Christianity. This was the German state church under Hitler, condoning Hitler. That did great damage to Christianity in the world. This is the church of modernity, the church of our day, uh, fracturing into denominations, thousands of denominations, because of arguments over leadership structures or the place of women or the LGBTQ community within the church that did damage. This is the thousands of local congregations falling into conflict and splitting with the joke that's not really a joke, being that the congregations have split over the color of the carpet. That, that kind of conflict does damage to Christianity. It's unprofitable conflict. We see this uh, in the contemporary political movement for polarization, with leaders on both sides self-deceiving and self-inflating, and followers prioritizing those inflated voices over the voice of Jesus. This is the contemporary religious devotion that so many in our world have to consumerism, materialism, and individualism. Religious devotion to the voices of advertisers instead of Jesus. As Paul wrote then, it's just as true, if not more so now. The temptation to be rich is a trap that leads to darkness and destruction. The love of money is at the root of all that's lacking God's will. Instead, there's great gain in godliness combined with contentment. We can't take anything with us, and if we have enough food and clothing, we are content. That's, that's the voice of Jesus spoken by Paul. Whoever teaches something that is not aligned with the teachings of Jesus is deceiving the self and the world. Whether it's a religious leader being deceptive, whether it's a political leader being deceptive, whether it's an advertiser being deceptive. These deceptions nurture conditions in which envy, dissension, slander, and unproductive wrangling and conflict thrive. And so Paul writes to Timothy, shun all of this. Pursue instead righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, contentment. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of that eternal life to which we are called. Take hold of that definition of life Jesus brings to us all, and take hold of it now, not just someday, but now in the midst of the world and its relationships. Shun all that deception and inflation. Shun the dividing into camps and cults of personality. Shun the envy, the dissensions, the suspicions. Shun the materialism and the love of money. When these things make their way into the life of the ecclesia and into our public life together as the church, in ways that the world around us can see, the ecclesia is sick. 
these are symptoms of unhealthy ecclesia. But if we are shunning these from our midst, and instead we are a public community displaying godliness, righteousness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, contentment, we have a health as an ecclesia. We are a healthy and effective Christian witness to the world around us. As Paul says, that's when we make the good confession, the public proclamation of what is godly and good, what is just true in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of the public. What is the confession that we will make as we gather publicly as the ecclesia, as the community of those who follow the way of Christ? What are we confessing publicly? Are we truly confessing the way of Christ? Or do we find ourselves assigning more authority, more weight, and therefore confessing more often a particular human leader other than Jesus? Do we have a confession that demands loyalty, allegiance, or consenting to the interpretations of one particular person, or political ideology, or human institution? Are we confessing and ways that that propagate controversy, disputes, envy, dissension, suspicion? Or do we find ourselves making confessions of God alone? Confessions of the way of Jesus? Are they confessions made in humility that no human being, no religious, political, or social leader is the be-all, end-all of the human experience? And that it's Jesus we trust to define and shape the human experience above all other voices and influences. Are we making a confession that therefore leads to godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, contentment, community? Is the confessions made by our public life together, of our ecclesia, do those confessions nurture love for God and neighbor? Do they bring forth and invite the kingdom on earth? In a, in a few days from when this reflection was first made, we're, we're preparing to celebrate Christmas. Jesus becoming the light, the love, the truth of God incarnated into the human experience so that the world might open itself to God's gifts of hope, joy, love, and peace, the gifts that truly can bring the world together in community. And so at this time, by the integrity and Christ-likeness and the health of our ecclesia, our prayer is that we might participate in the advent of Christmas, the bringing of these gifts of hope, joy, love, and peace more fully into the world around us by our public life, and by our confessions. Amen. May God bless you in your reflections and in your prayers. Thanks for listening.